Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. You could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, entrepreneurship and leadership channel listeners on the New Books Network. Today, we've got a very special guest, Jonathan Little, who, amongst other things, is the founder of PokerCoaching.com. And I, I'm here with my co-host, uh, Kima Fontakidis, who, who knows, uh, knows Jonathan already. But Jonathan, why don't you introduce yourself to someone who both has never heard of you and doesn't know much about poker? Hello, good morning. My name is Jonathan Little. I am 37 years old. I've been a professional poker player since I was 18, so for about 19 years. And uh, poker is a fun game. It is a skill game where if you show up and play better than your opponents, you will win in the long run. And fortunately, I've been doing that for quite a while. I also started a poker training site a long time ago. Um, now it's called pokercoaching.com. And that's a lot of fun because it lets me use my skills to help other people enjoy poker more and win more money from poker. Mm-hmm. And, and like, apart from poker, you sound as if you're Canadian or American. I always say Canadian or American, just in case, because Americans don't mind and Canadians do. But like, whereabouts and where, where, where are we speaking to you today? I am American. I was born in Florida, but I live in New York City now. My wife is from New York City and she works around here and she is not moving. So I do not get to move. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and our regular listeners know, but you don't know, we like to dig a bit into the journey like when you were a teenager or a kid would your family friends have been surprised to discover that this is what you were doing with your life 15 to 20 years later so as a kid I played a lot of games I played chess a decent amount when I was six seven eight nine years old I would wake up on and play chess online I'd play speed chess in the morning at 5 a.m before school for fun and that was fun. Then I started playing a game called Magic the Gathering, which is a card game kind of similar to poker. It's kind of like chess, except for you don't necessarily know what all the pieces do. And your opponent knows what their pieces do, but they don't know what your pieces do. And it makes it difficult. It makes the game more fun. And there's also randomness in it. Anytime you're drawing from a deck of cards, sometimes you get good cards, sometimes you get bad cards, right? And that's a good game to get you into poker because in poker, there's a lot of variance. So I started playing poker when I was 18 years old. I would go to play these Magic the Gathering tournaments. And then after a Magic the Gathering tournament one day, someone said, hey, let's play poker. We'll buy in for a dollar and the winner gets to keep all the dollars. And I didn't have any money back then. So that was a lot of money for me. And I lost the first three months or so in a row. But then I realized, okay, the same people are winning. They must be doing something better than me. I knew chess was a skill game and Magic the Gathering was a skill game. So I thought poker may be a skill game. So I bought some books and I studied. And... After a while of that, I put $50 into an online poker site and started playing a ton. And if you knew me then that I was playing a ton of online poker back then, you probably would not be so surprised that I'm I'm still playing a lot of poker today. But I I always enjoyed playing games. I mean, in in school, anytime there'd be free time, I'd be playing some sort of strategy game and trying to improve my skills at it. So I don't think it would shock anyone, although it's certainly not the the first thing people would guess you're going to go into. At the same time, I don't think anybody would be too surprised. Mm-hmm. Was this like, was this just a hobby or were you like, cause like you're 18, I'm trying to imagine like there's university, there's school, like what, or were you like early on decided like, this is something you like want to do as a career? I never really had any 
desire to do it as a career. I just was good at it. And poker happened to be a game you can make money at. I mean, when I played chess, I would play chess in all my free time. Whenever I played Magic the Gathering, I'd do that in all my free time. And you actually have more free time than you think you do. I mean, I was at that time when I was 18, I was working at an airport for 40 hours a week, fueling up airplanes. And all my free time, I'd be studying Magic the Gathering before I started playing poker. I also got a job at a a card store where I would run Magic the Gathering tournaments and play in Magic the Gathering tournaments. So I got a job that allowed me to very easily do my hobby. And then um, I, I also thought about it in all my free time. So I found ways to spend a lot of time on the things that I liked, right? And I was going to school, of course, too. So then when poker you were, happened, you were I, going, you were going to, but you were, you were in college. So I'm trying I was to, going to, I was yeah. going to college as well. Okay. Um, eventually though, when I was, I got into poker and I would be playing poker all the time. Anytime they gave us a computer in a classroom, I would download a poker site and start playing poker on it. And I mean, one day I remember I was not doing well in school at all, but I, I think I made something like $20,000 in the two hours I was in the class. <laughs> like, okay, well, clearly I don't know what I'm doing sitting in this class. And after a while I ended up quitting college. I, I they gave us a pop quiz and I got a zero on it. Cause I had no clue what I was doing. I was not prepared at all because I've been playing, spending all my time playing poker. And I decided that it was probably time to be done with college. I already quit my uh, job ahead of time as well because I was getting paid $10 an hour at the airport. So if you're making anything more than $10 an hour, it probably makes sense to get a... But obviously... Not to do it anymore, right? You, you, you Just a math game at the end of the day. So you mentioned you had a couple of a couple of regular jobs. So that sounds like you weren't like coming from an affluent family where there was tons of money sloshing around did you have any sort of like role models of like entrepreneurs in your family people doing their own thing or or were you just sort of i'm just trying to get a sense of the atmosphere you grew up in because obviously if you can make twenty thousand bucks in two hours you've already put yourself <laughs> in a different league but but and was that like a moment of i'm asking several questions at once which we're not meant to do but was it like a moment of truth you felt holy moly or whatever <laughs> i've just made twenty thousand bucks and i'm working for ten bucks an hour and it's so the sort of incongruity hit you that this didn't make sense so well, we'll start with the first question i did not come from a particularly affluent family my mom's a school teacher and my dad works on power lines so they, they have somewhat regular jobs and none of them did any sort of gambling or game playing really i mean we, my, i would play chess with my dad some whenever I, whenever I was a kid but they never got into any of the other games that i played so I was just kind of doing my own thing, finding games I liked, finding people I liked who also played the games because you go and play tournaments in real life and you interact with the same people over and over again and you make friends. I happen to make friends with a lot of the very good players in all these games and they would help me and I would help them. And we'd all improve together, kind of like we did in poker. And I, I, don't, I never really cared about the money whenever I was a young person because I didn't really need money. I, I, I had no expenses. I was living with my parents and... My bills are probably like $400 a month or $500 a month, which my job at the airport easily paid for, even making $10 an hour. And I never really cashed out much money from my online poker account. I started with $50. And by the time I was 21, I had about 350000 in there. And I never really cashed it out because I realized really quickly the people who cash it out and spend it on stuff have a much more difficult time moving up because in poker, you need to keep a bankroll to play because you will go on downswings and... You don't want a downswing to wipe you out. I remember I used to play live poker games. It was like a $50 buy-in game in Florida where I grew up. It's just like a fun tournament with friends. And me and one other guy were the best players. And every time he would win, he'd go buy himself a new pair of shoes. And every time I won, I put my money in a box and forgot about it. And after about six months of that, he had a bunch of shoes and I had a bunch of money. And 
you know, he was happy with the shoes, which is certainly fine and good. But at the same time, I got to play bigger games and move up. And he did not get to move up. He was stuck playing the $50 games and I got to play bigger and bigger. And in poker, if you maintain your same edge, but you get to play for twice the amount of money, you make twice as much money. Then if you double that again, now you're making four times as much money. So he was still making the same amount of money at the $50 games. And I was playing $200 games, making four times as much just because I kept my bankroll intact. How, I have to ask, so like, I, I mean, I think most people know, I mean, a lot of these um, online poker sites aren't regulated. And for, you know, today, even there are still plenty of unregulated poker sites. And, and, um, and back then, I'm sure most of them were unregulated. So were you worried at all? I mean, it's not like, it's like $350,000 for a young kid leaving it on a poker site. Was that at all a concern? Like, I mean, I'm like, no, an adult, I'm a 50 year old adult, like thinking like, <laughs> so I'm like, what, like, are you like, were you at all concerned about just that disappearing or somebody stealing it from you or, or you just didn't worry about it or there were a few big names in online poker back then it was party poker, which is still a, a site that always does its best to play by the rules and you know keep the game licensed and regulated. So I was never really concerned about it. I probably should have been just because <laughs> even some of the more popular sites have had some issues. Um, there, there was a time where the main payment processor got shut down, for example, and some people just had money stuck on there for a few months and that is not good. But I always made a point to play on the most legitimate sites possible because why not, right? And, and back then, the games were very, very good on those sites, and they had a lot of players playing, which allowed me to play a lot of poker. So the biggest sites just so happened to also be the most trustworthy or the presumably most trustworthy, and I think they are. I mean, if I had to put money in any poker site today, it'd probably be party poker. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it turns out I, I was lucky to have picked the best one, but there certainly were, were other ones that, that were not as... As, as good for, for lack of better words. And some of those went down, some of them did fine, but yeah, I would definitely not keep all that much money in any online poker site today. Yeah, um, exactly. You probably want to, I mean, if, if it's an unre unregulated site, which is what most of them are in America, if you're not <clears> playing in a state where poker is definitively legal, then probably keep enough money to play for one or two days at most. And then just deposit or cash out as it makes logical sense. Um, for sites where they're completely regulated and whatnot, I mean, you can really keep a lot of money on there, but you should not keep, a ton just because it's, it's not necessary but in my mind back then i kind of viewed my amount of money in my account as my score right the goal is to get the high score and if you take money out you, your score goes down and i didn't ah. like my score to go down and also i didn't really need the money i mean eventually i bought a condominium when i was 19 or 20 years old or something like that so i took out money for that and bought that with cash but um i, I just didn't need money is what it amounts to i i realized a long time ago if you keep your expenses low you will move up in stakes way faster than if you're consistently that's, taking money yeah, out of your bank and there's a couple of people a couple we try to make this educational for people interested in entrepreneurship and there's a couple of things i just draw attention to that even if someone really dreams of having the fancy toys and the yachts and the planes it's way better to leave your money in your business or whatever you because obviously you're making money in po poker but if you've got a good thing going on draining the cash out rather than reinvesting is because like some people go for the ego but you know, you've clearly clearly done well by by effectively reinvesting and the the other the other thing is is sticking with the reliable people that for sure there were cheaper poker sites out there but you know if you is staying with the big brands even if they're slightly more expensive can very often make a lot of sense particularly until you're rich enough to be able to afford to lose things going with the little guys in which case why would you because you're rich enough anyway well, it's not necessarily even in poker, the little guys. For example, there are home games you can go play that are 
usually like ran by one good poker player and they recruit their rich business person friends to come and gamble. And if me as a professional can get in those games, those will be highly profitable. The problem though, is that sometimes they won't let me play or quite often they won't let me play because <laughs> they think I'm going to take the other people's money and not, then they're not going to win the money. Right. Or also they'll let me play, but then maybe they'll pay me out very slowly or not pay me at all if I win and I'll pay if I lose. So clearly that's not good. Or maybe the, the owner of the game takes a big rake and nobody's winning in the game, even if you are good. So there's always some, some risk involved with most things. And typically as the risk gets higher, the potential profitability goes up. But at the same time, you have to ask, is that worth it? Do I need that in my life? And some things I just don't need in my life. I do not need any excess nonsense and drama and worry about getting paid and all of that. It's just, it's not necessary. Um, but yeah, also in terms of keeping money in a business, you have to ask, can I do anything better with the money than cash it out, right? And especially if you're cashing out your money to buy stuff that does not impact your business at all, you got to think you could do something better with the money. But at the same time, if your options are not all that great for actually reinvesting the money, then, you know, it's probably okay to cash it out. Um, but with poker, for example, it was very clear to me that if you doubled your bankroll, you could, to some extent, double the amount of money you're playing for which doubles your profit. It doesn't exactly double it because as players get better, your edge goes down. But whatever, say you double your money, you 1.5x your potential profit. It's obvious you want to be doing that as much as possible. But, but with poker, for example, with the games I was playing back then, I probably only needed $50,000, yet I had $350,000. That right. $300,000 was just kind of sitting there, not really being used. Um, I did have aspirations to play bigger and bigger games where I needed millions of dollars. So I knew I would need that money one day, but at that time, I really didn't need it. So for logical safety point of view it should not have been sitting in an online site it should have been in a bank or something like that well if we're going to like move this to like a business wet mentality like it's i would say diversification i mean are you at some point and i'm wondering if this can segue into what you ended up doing but like it's at some point like getting the money out and putting it into so like okay so like if i sell my business you know i don't you know it's good at it's, or if I make money in my business, it's sometimes it's good for me to put money into other stuff that's going to also make money. So I diversify my investments. I don't have all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. So is that it? I'm just wondering, as you developed as a poker player, because, you know, I think you're different um, in the sense that I think some professional poker players, that's all they do. They just want to be a professional poker player and they just do that. I think they do that. And that's pretty much it. And then but you've now you clearly have this entrepreneurial side where you've 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 taken what you started and like you, you're you continue to be a professional poker player but you're also doing other stuff with now is that i don't know is setting up businesses was that part of a diversification or were you just getting bored or you just likes or maybe you can talk a little bit about how you got into how you how did you get into you know teaching or setting up a business or how did that happen i mean it's going to sound bad but i don't really know what i'm doing i'm figuring it out and uh a long time ago i posted a lot on various poker forums on the internet because I was living in Florida where there's no, there were no casinos at all. So all my friends were made from talking on the internet. And I realized that if those people did not help me, I would not be nearly as good as I am. And people wanted to learn from me. So I quickly realized that I can only type so many messages in, in forums to people. So if I can make videos and just share a 20 minute video with someone that explains a concept very clearly, that's way better than typing out an essay every single time or even copy and pasting an essay, right? So what I started doing is I made a lot of videos for people covering common questions. And I would also just write articles about, about common questions. And I would copy and paste the same thing because the same question has the same answer most of the time. And I would make videos. And after a while, we made a 
training site essentially that was really just videos being so you, posted. intentionally sorry sorry to interrupt but it like initially you're just being helpful like you were I was just being for, helpful yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was doing it for free just to help out people and then some people nice. came to me for private coaching and yeah. again i would write them articles they would i always say send me questions like email me questions and i'll answer them in my spare time and i would always save the answers and after a while i had like 500 two page long articles on poker on all sorts of things pertaining to poker and after a while, a publisher came to me and said, hey, will you write us a book? Then I realized I basically already had the book written because I had every spot already covered, written out in these essays. So that made life easy. But yeah, I, I was doing it all for essentially just to be helpful for fun because people help me, I help them. And I realized that quite often people are better at some things than me and worse at some things than me. So I got good at a few particular types of poker and I learned from other people about other particular types of poker or mindset issues or money management or right. you know, all sorts of things, right? So, you, so we you, get good at one particular thing and then we trade knowledge. I think something, Richard, actually, it's something that you might not have spotted in Jonathan's bio. He's actually a very accomplished author. He's How many books have you written, Jonathan? I, I've written 15 books on poker. Uh, fortunately <laughs> for me, writing poker books is not that difficult because I, I have a good framework already in my mind, right? Like there's very little research actually required. And if there is research required, it's usually running simulations overnight that it's just pushing a button. You know, but these are real, but these are, this is real public. Just to let the listeners know, this is real publishing. This isn't like, uh, like are you Amazon. I mean, I don't know, maybe now you're Amazon self or you're self publishing, but like you have plenty of books that sell. I mean, people buy these books <laughs> and they're, they're like, they're, 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 they're real. It's like real public. It's, like, it's, it's, it's a legitimate like activity, I guess. Yeah. So I, I've tried to, like from a business point of view, just to be the person people think of when they think of where do I go to learn about poker, I think you want to be on every search engine to some extent. So I have a YouTube a YouTube channel that's relatively popular and we have books that are relatively popular. I mean, they're all like, they've all been the number one bestseller in poker on Amazon at one point or another. And I want, whenever you type poker book or poker or whatever, <laughs> I want my stuff to come up. It's not going to be all my stuff. I mean, at one time, I think I had like nine out of the 10 bestselling poker books on Amazon. So that was good. But Ideally, I want my stuff to come up, right? So you type in poker terms on in Google. Hopefully, some of my website stuff comes up, right? And so, Jonathan, can I dive in? I, and Keeman's right. I, he obviously knows you a lot better than I. But in a way, you sort of you started with your audience and your market before you started offering a product, just by being active in the forum. So all these people who knew who you were and were impressed by what you were doing, which is an ideal way around, because a lot of people in business, you know, they start with the idea and then they think, who the hell am I going to sell this to? And in your case, you basically had people coming to you, people who wanted your advice, who wanted to come to you. And your first publishing deal, you said a, a publisher came to you. So. But the, the question of why, you said you want to have the top 10 in Amazon, oh, sorry, in, in the bestseller list or the top 10 hits in Google. And is that, are you like kind of competitive? You mentioned the score in that your money score was the, you know, it was like your high score and you weren't really thinking of it as dollars. Then do you just, are you the sort of person who just likes to win and this is why you wanted the top 10? Or do you, do you have like a, a, a vision of like being the poker? I don't, maybe I'll stop speaking. Just like, why did you want to have the top 10 in Amazon? <laughs> I don't really have any of these thoughts. Uh, I mean, at this point in life, I don't actually care all that much about money. I also don't really care about being number one or any. Thing. I just try to do good work and add a lot of value. And I know if you do good work and add a lot of value, then you will be rewarded, right? And I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I want to I want to get money so I don't have to worry about bills. I guess that's why we all want our money, right? But at the same time, I I realize that if people don't know about you and what you're offering, they will not come to you for help, right? 
So if you make a good product, it is your job to tell people about your good product. And I think I have a very good product in, at pokercoaching.com. And it's my job to tell people about it. So I need to get where people are searching for these things. And I, I think that's everyone's job. I mean, if you're an artist, it's your job to tell people about your art because otherwise they won't find it. If you're, if you, if you fix tires for a living, it's your job to tell people that, Hey, I fix tires, come to my store. Right. You're speaking to entrepreneurs here who totally agree with you. There are people out there who are like the, the, the artist in the attic who doesn't have that mindset. So you know, in a sense, for anyone who's <laughs> not got that in their genes, you know, if you've got a good product, it is kind of your responsibility to get the word out, isn't it? And, well, and if, if you're bad at telling people about your work or you don't want to do it, hire somebody to do it, right? And I mean, like I'm bad at everything pertaining to websites, so I have someone who does all of that for me. I mean, at this point, I don't want to be on social media all the time, so I have people who take care of some of that stuff. Like I'll make a YouTube video and they'll share it on social media, so I don't have to do that anymore, right? But in the beginning, whenever you're getting started, you have to do everything. So you have to figure out the high value things or the things you can do well, and then make a point to do those things. And as you get more resources, you can spend those resources to try to expand, right? You know, what blows me away is um, when I think when I'm listening to this is that like, like content marketing is the thing right now. And you, and you were doing, con you started like, do you, whatever, instinctively were doing content marketing, like way before it was even a thing you were basically doing like, and, and as a result, I mean, I guess it, 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 I'm sure it pays massive dividends. As you said, I mean, listen, if you've, if you've written all these poker books and you have all this poker content out there, plus video content out there, I mean, but it's just actually kind of amazing that you intuitively uh, did this because like now I can, you can find plenty of books that are going to tell you to do exactly what you've done, but I guarantee you, you didn't read any books about that. You just, you just did it basically. Yeah, I, I did not. I mean, I, there, there were no books about that kind of thing back then. I mean, now <laughs> I read a lot of business books and listen to a lot of business podcasts and whatnot. But I mean, you, you have to get in front of people and let people know that you exist because there's nothing that really separates me from any other very good poker player. Um, so how do I make people notice me, right? <laughs> and, and the answer is you have to figure out a way to add value. I mean, giving people quick wins is very beneficial. I have a lot of free content online that if you don't know anything about poker and you go and you study it, you'll get really well, way better than you were a few hours ago. I mean, I have a, a free fundamentals course at pokercoaching.com slash fundamentals, completely free. It's about two and a half hours long. <laughs> if, and you can go from knowing nothing about poker to being probably better than all your friends. And that's a heck of an investment where it costs you nothing and you'll be better than your friends after two and a half hours. And now if you ever want to get good at poker, you're probably going to come to me and that's good, right? So I, I make this one thing. It takes me whatever, probably took me a few days and it's just out there living and getting lots of new potential customers because I'm adding value and helping them enjoy poker more. And, and you, you mentioned there are lots of other good poker players out there and you know the only difference is that you're better at getting the word out. But I, obviously, you, know, you, you have an advantage that you just happen to be very good at poker and you've got the right mindset and skills to be good at that. But would you say that a lot of people could have do, done what, you did other tens of thousands of other poker players out there who could have been who could be you if they'd chosen the same path or are you are you like unusually talented a bit like with a top tennis star not everyone can be Djokovic or 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 you know Federer because you know it's is to you have to have the talent and the drive yeah so there are probably three other very good poker players who have poker training sites kind of like mine they're in my opinion, not as good. Mine's way more interactive and way more engaging. 
But anyway, there are three other poker players or so that are, you know, let's say top 500 poker players. Kind of, I'm certainly not kind, kind, of, or two. kind of kind of your competition, basically. Essentially, I mean, I don't even necessarily view them as competition because we're all friendly with each other, and I, I think we realize, like, don't step on each other's toes. We all have a nice thing going here. Some people like to fight, but the people I interact with don't like to fight. They like to build stuff together. So could anyone do what I'm doing? Probably not. You have to be willing to sit in a room and record content all day or write a book all day. I mean, I have a book topic right now. So it's to write a book on. It's probably going to take me a few months. Yeah. And I'm going to knock it out. And that's fine and good. I don't mind doing it because, yeah. um, I mean, I learned, I mean, I realized something like eight years ago that I wanted to be able to stay home in New York with my, with my wife and make a family. So now I have two young sons. And while they're at school, I have pretty much eight or 10 hours uninterrupted to do work. And when I first, first moved to New York, it must've been 15 years ago, I would just play video games all day. And I eventually spent a lot of money and I realized, okay, that's not going to work. I need to find out a way to make some money, right? And make good use of my time instead of squandering my time. And now I, most of the stuff I tried to do either makes money or makes me smarter or somehow adds value to other people. And I try to stick to some things that do that because then but I'm not- John, Jonathan, I have to believe there is there is like a diver- diversification element. Like, and it, maybe it's not, maybe it's an interest element or boredom element because you could like in theory, when I'm, you know, you, you, if, you know, you could have just spent all that time on getting better at poker and trying to get higher and higher stakes and like getting better and better and better. But you're, you're, you clearly you're making a choice to do, to do this. So, uh, you know, is it partly because you're just not that interested? Like, because, and and the answer to the question, Richard, uh, like I, I, you can just see, I mean, sorry, here, the way Jonathan is, he's very hardworking. I mean, and like, and and not to say these other, like say top poker players aren't hardworking, but like you have to, like, I think you get to a certain level and you can probably just keep making money and keep doing okay. And you don't have to be as ambitious because there is a level of ambition, Jonathan, that you keep going and doing and more and more and more and more and more. Now, I'm sort of, sorry, I'm, I'm sort of on a tangent, but I'm wondering, is it because of... I don't know, less interest, more interested in trying different stuff, or I don't want to call bored with poker, but like just only doing poker would not, because that's what's kind of what I'm wondering is would only doing poker not be fulfilling for you, basically? I mean, or. So essentially at poker, you are somewhat capped at the amount of money you can make within reason. Uh, There's certainly times where you can make a ton of money, but for the most part, you're going to make $150 an hour from poker. If you want to find a nice, consistent game, you can play 12 hours a day every day. And I actually did that for a year and a half. I would go to Bellagio, a, a casino in Vegas every day. I'd play medium stakes poker and make about $100 an hour. And I did that for a year and a half straight. And it was fine and good. And I would put in 70 hours a week, every week. And it was it was great. I mean, you can do the math. It's about 30,000 bucks a month. Just like, <laughs> it was very low variance, very easy. <laughs> and it was fine and good. But at the same time, I realized that's kind of the cap. And right. I, I mean, I, it may sound greedy to want to make more than 30,000 a month. But at the same time, I realize that you can scale if you find other things to do. Like, for example, today, I'm a part owner of a site or a company that buys people into poker tournaments online, and we teach them to get good. And now there's 200 people out there playing right now, and I'm getting a little percentage of it. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. You got to tell us about that. You got to tell us, tell us about that right now. We we, we need to talk about poker coaching. I want to hear about that. Don't you want to hear about that? Yeah, (laughs) certainly. Maybe what else are you doing? Because obviously, like you've answered Kima's question perfectly. You like you're expanding the envelope. And it's a very good idea to work out how much you're making, how much you can make 
doing whatever it is you do and figuring out is that enough and are you happy and if it's not necessarily enough then obviously what you've done makes perfect sense and so what other things are you doing you've got stakes and other poker players or, or is the list so long we're not going to get through it in an hour <laughs> the, list, the list is relatively long i mean eventually you realize that the amount of money i have is too much for my poker bankroll and i cannot play any higher because my edge becomes close to nothing i mean in today's games they have fifty thousand dollar buying tournaments a hundred thousand dollar buying tournaments and I don't have much of an edge in them because nobody has much of an edge in them because everybody's really, really good. So the question is, is do I want to set aside $10 million to play these tournaments <laughs> or could I make better use of it, right? So I've decided I think I can make better use of it at other things than playing a game where I have a 2% edge maybe, right? So I do a lot of other stuff. I mean, we have this poker backing site where we teach people to play and people who improve, they teach the people who are so how does it work? Just walk us through this a little bit. So like somebody, so somebody gets in, in effect, somebody gets free coaching in, yeah, in they exchange. Get, they, get, they get essentially people come to us um, to make sure they do not screw us in various ways and make them put down a deposit so yeah. that if they take our money and run, they, they lose money. Right. Right. So we try to make sure that people cannot cheat us. And a few people have tried and usually they failed, but people come to us and essentially we give them free coaching and we give them money to play with in exchange for them giving us some percentage of their profits. And, and how it. do you control, how do you possibly control? Like, I can't even imagine how you manage that. That sounds very difficult to manage. There's a bunch of managers. I just advise. <laughs> uh, there, I mean, there are multiple managers. I mean, it's a, it's a worldwide operation where there are players in Brazil and players in Europe and players in Canada, like players all over and all of the regions have various managers and they all check in. They all oh, okay. report daily and it's, I mean, I, I don't, I personally don't do much with it, but that's an example of a spot where like I, I gave them some funds and I give them advice whenever they need it. And there's a bunch of players out there playing poker and I just have a tiny percentage of the company, but some people have a large chunk of the company, right? And okay. they really are grinding it out, but that's an example of a way to scale, right? So I've taken okay. my skills and some money and use that to fund this and people are out there playing poker and they, they send us money. Whatever, whatever they win is what it amounts to. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But by having a lot of players playing with some edge, and I mean, if you get half of that edge, that's right. quite nice. Yeah, it's, a numbers game. No it's a numbers game. It's a numbers yes. game, right? It's a so, numbers so, game. So, so you're a kind of high, uh, specialist angel investor, really. You're, put, you're, you're bringing know-how. You're bringing a lot of know-how about poker. People might be more willing to get involved because you're involved and you bring credibility and brand and everything. And then you get a share of it. What else are you doing that has we haven't touched on yeah. at all yet? Well, so now I own part of the poker publishing company. There's a bunch of books behind me. All those books up there, I had my hands in one way or the other. There's like 30 books that I've been very much in charge of. I My, my job there is to essentially get the high-end uh, authors or poker players to come and write books for us. Some of them can't write very well, so I help them with that. Um, also, I edit a lot of the books. I go through and look for any sort of problems or errors, especially in terms of poker sense. And, um, you know, I, I generally try to better the publishing company. So... That's a lot of fun. That takes some time. Also, I, I do a lot of angel investing. I've invested small amounts of money in something like 100 companies. Sometimes oh, wow. they come for me for advice. Sometimes they don't. And that's fine and good. I mean, to some extent, that's just to learn from a lot of these other companies. I particularly like investing in membership training sites on all sorts of uh, topics, right? So I have investments in like a workout training site and a dance training site and a guitar <laughs> training site and a drum training site. And they send monthly updates discussing what's working and what's not working. 
And, I mean, and this is an area that you obviously have a lot of experience in because of poker coaching, right? Experience, but also I'm still interested in what's working for other people, what's not working. Yeah. If I see them doing something that's working amazingly well, you can be sure I'm going to try it with poker right. coaching because they're kind of similar topics. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good well, idea. A so is poker idea. coaching, sorry, Richard, I just, I, I'm just thinking about the listeners. Is the, is your big, but like, if you had to like bunch group the assets or whatever you want to call it, is poker coaching the biggest thing? Is that the biggest thing that you're doing? Like in terms of your, the scale of it compared or, or, or I don't know how it- Yeah, I mean, works. at this point, most of my money comes from pokercoaching.com because we have something like 6,000 members and they all pay between 20 and a hundred dollars a month. And- it brings in a decent amount of income and anything that brings in a decent amount of income should probably take a decent right. amount of your effort and attention. So yeah, I spend a lot of time on it, but at the same time, I have something like five employees and a bunch of contractors and 10 coaches and it's a bit of an operation. Um, I mean, I don't really manage it all that much at this point. I have a manager who manages a lot of it. I have a guy who manages everything besides the poker content. I have another guy who manages all the poker stuff. He's also a very good poker player. His name's Justin Saliba. Check him out. He's very, very good at poker. And I oversee everything to some extent and make whatever content I need to make. So I, I make a decent amount of content and I make sure I do my best to make sure there are no problems elsewhere. And there's always little problems happening. That's, yeah. that's just how things go in business. What right? about, what about man? Like, so that like, I just can't, I'm Richard. I'm, I think this is probably one of your favorite topics, but I just can't imagine again, based on your background and where you came from, I mean, clearly you didn't have a whole lot of management experience. Uh, uh, how, how does, how does like, do you like, I mean, is that a, a easy troublesome something you want uh, you know what, what's your thought on that i mean because you have people you have to deal with people you know people are pesky jonathan they they're not they're not always easy to deal with so right so that's why i have two people who manage everybody else <laughs> i manage the two managers and both of those two managers are very very good and leave me alone okay but did, you go so, through a but did you go through a process to get to <laughs> did you have to did you have to learn that you need the two managers or did you <laughs> did you that was was it a was there was it a process to learn that or I, I most definitely learned it i mean the way the poker coaching site kind of happened is i was at a casino i just broke up with a fiance this must have been 15 years ago or something and a guy randomly came up to me and said hey i know you make some poker content i think you could do better if you let me market it and I didn't know the guy at all, but I said, I asked what he wanted me to do. He said, make me a video of you playing online poker, make it like 12 hours long, me, whatever you want to do, really. So I made a video of myself playing tournaments online for 12 hours. And I won, uh, like, was, I think I won something like $20,000 in the day. So that was a, a good, good day. <laughs> and I gave him the video. And then he started promoting it through a bunch of affiliates and whatnot. And the first month we made $10,000 on the video. I thought, oh, that's good. And um, how, it, it, how, how did you make 10,000? How does it had like, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. How, how? So we were selling the video, the 12 hour video for a hundred dollars, I think. And okay. we sold it through a company called ClickBank, which is basically a bunch of affiliates go there to find products to sell. And there was not much poker content on there at all. And we would give the affiliates half of the money and we'd keep half the money. And oh, wow. that was it. And that's how we, that's how we got started. And once we get those people buying our stuff, they get on our email list. And now we have good leads who are like my stuff and are willing to pay a hundred dollars for it. So it's like the perfect leads. Right. And we did that for a while. We don't really use that site anymore at all. I mean, we haven't used that site for many years. We still get a little check every once in a while. So that's good. Some people are still <laughs> buying that, that old video, but that's how we got started. And then we just started making more videos. We would make a new product every month or so and go to ClickBank and sell the new product and sell it to our own list and keep all the money, of course. 
And after a while, it must have been a pretty good long while, we realized that people only are buying, let's say, three or four products a year for $100, right? So we came up with the bright idea of giving everything in a membership where now you get all the products I've ever made that I think are still good, that have not lost a lot of strategic value for $100 a month. So imagine instead of getting good buyers to buy three or four things a year for three or $400 a year, now they're paying $1,200 a year. Or imagine we give them a year at a discount for $600, right? We're still making a decent chunk more. And it, so and like, it, like, feels, like... it feels risky to give away everything and to continue making a lot of new stuff, but at the same time, you ensure yeah, people get, stay signed I, up. Again, I'm blown away because this is like, Jonathan, I don't know, like, uh, like you're like ahead of your, like, do you, so once again, you've done subscription-based sales. <laughs> so like you've gone ahead, like first you did content marketing and then you did subscription-based sales, which is basically another, like that's, that's, that's standard basically now. You want to have recurring revenue. You have a very nice model where you have recurring revenue now. And clearly, obviously now in retrospect, you can look back and say, yeah, that was a very smart decision to give everything away because- basically, you know, when you're selling to your best clients, they'll always pay a little bit more if you're giving them more value. I mean, yeah. And, but so going back to managing at the beginning, it was just me and the, the guy who, yeah. who made me make that, that course. And he dealt with all email support website stuff. And I dealt with being the face of the company on the internet, um, social media and whatnot, and then also making the content. And after a while he got, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Is he your business partner or your employee now? Employee. Okay. I, I, I'm in charge. Okay. Uh, so, but I mean, you know, I take everyone's, I talk, I mean, talk to all of them on a regular basis and we discuss all sorts of things. He's very involved in the company. And I guess essentially I have a few, a few people who work with me who get a percentage of whatever we make each month. So that keeps them highly invested. Right. And that could be good. That could be bad. I don't mind drastically overpaying people in, in terms of what they could be making for a regular job. If they're going to do great work for me, I know they're not going to quit. And uh, oh my God, another go. smart, I mean, another smart gem. I mean, I've been, I've been, I've done that my whole career. I mean, like there's nothing wrong with overpaying for talent. And if it's worth it to you, who cares what the market is? And that's just such a smart little thing that you just said there. I just want other people to, to pay attention to that because. I mean, I guess the reason we did not make a, a partnership at the beginning is because I already had a training site that was kind of just hanging out. It wasn't really making money and not losing money. I mean, it was a membership site, actually. This was, this was probably 20, 18 years ago. And it was, I was probably losing a little bit of money on each month. So I could, I was not just going to give the guy a portion of that business and this other business. So it was more of, I'll make the same for you, sell it, you get a percentage. And we just kept at that indefinitely. Um, but yeah, so eventually he got overwhelmed with stuff like support emails, website stuff, because we were making more stuff and building more things. So he brought on additional people to help him on his end. I eventually started working with other poker coaches to make, have them make content and then we'd sell the content and keep half the money. We eventually become an affiliate for them, right? Because then I don't have to do any work and my guy just has to make a website and write some emails and then we make half the money. And so we started working with more coaches and eventually uh, the coaches started just like working with us sort of as contractors where they make content for the training site. And that takes a lot of management. And I did not like making sure all the coaches turned in their content, making sure they're not making duplicate content as another coach or making sure their content's still very good, high quality, et cetera, et cetera. And so I eventually hired somebody else to help with that, that side of the things because I did not like managing. So the fact that I did not like managing um, induced me to hire managers, right? And that, that became very clear that I needed that very quickly because I did not like that part of the job at all. <laughs> I don't mind it, but I don't want to be doing it all day. 
Yeah, you've got very strong self-awareness of what you like doing and what you don't like doing. And, and also, just for people listening, the guy who approached you, and he was being entrepreneurial, like he, coming up to you, seeing that you had a good thing that he thought he could make more money out of than you were making. You know, that's an opportunity he had only because he approached you and persuaded you, basically. And, and he, has, he had to be a little bit brave to do it because, right. I mean, it, it takes some courage to walk up to someone you do not know and say, hey, I, I know. Well, so first off, you knew I had a training site. He knew I was good at poker, so like he's, he's done some research, right? It's not like he's just coming up to me as a random person. He clearly had studied what I do a little bit, and he was knowledgeable about what I was already doing, which I'm sure I'm probably 12 people in the world were back then, you know? <laughs> and so he was one of them, so he was clearly sharp about that, and he laid out a plan for what to do. We made it to where if it failed, we would just be done and we move on, right? Mm. And if it went well, we would evaluate and continue going, and it went well, so we evaluated and we continued going. And um, we, I mean, he's my longest relationship. We've been together, whatever it is, 15 years or something. Totally. And it's good. We have a good thing going. Yeah, there's, there are so many lessons which apply to so many different businesses. And, you know, just in terms of looking at the business model, looking at the lifetime value, looking at how to, what you're good at, what you like doing, how to sell more stuff to your existing customers and bring in new customers. It all, all these things apply to almost yeah. every business you can think of, don't they? Yeah, so I realize that I'm very good at some things. Other people cannot do what I do at some things, like writing poker books, for example. I'm very good at writing poker books. I can do it very quickly, and other people cannot. So I need to spend my time doing the writing of strategy content if we think that is of value. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Also, I'm very good at making video content. A lot of people cannot do that quite as well as I do. It takes me one take to do most things, and I'm good, good to go. And other people, they spend many, many, many hours making a 30-minute video, whereas I spend about 33 minutes making a 30-minute video. <laughs> and that's incredibly valuable. So if we think video content valuable, I need to spend most of my time on that. I don't think I particularly make poker coaches make that much better of content after I've set them up with all the tools they need to make their content look pretty and sound good. So I should not be doing that. I definitely know I don't want to be answering support emails. Even though I read every support email that comes through, I don't answer very many of them personally. We have other people who answer them. So... That's not a good use of my time. So you got to outsource it. I know I'm not good at writing um, like ad copy. That's what my internet marketer does. He's good at writing emails that, that sell stuff. So he does that. So essentially anything that I'm not really good at that I don't, especially if I don't want to be doing it, I'll definitely outsource it. And I think a lot of people have this idea that they need to do everything themselves to make sure it's perfect. And to be fair, the actual job done on a lot of things when I would do it, say it's like a 95 out of 100. Now we outsource it, maybe it's like a 92 out of 100. Not Maybe not good quite enough. as good. Good enough. I've always yeah. said good enough yeah. is good enough. Good enough. It doesn't yeah. have to be and, perfect. And, jo and Jonathan, this is where you are now. Do you say you're 37, 40 years old, something like that, right? You're, I don't know, something like that. Something like that. You don't know. You don't even know. But was, did you have to learn this the hard way by getting things wrong? Was there a time where you tried to do too much yourself? Or has it always like been baked into your personality? This is just common sense. And this isn't rocket science. You, you mentioned you're reading business books and stuff like that. So you're not all listening to business podcasts. So you're not... You're obviously not assuming you knew it all or you know it all. And at the, well, same, yeah. at the same time, where you are now sounds extremely battle-hardened and wise. <laughs> well, I, I've definitely done a lot of stuff right and a lot of stuff wrong. And I'm, I'm, there, I remember a period there, I was just like super overwhelmed by managing all the coaches because we had 10 poker players making us, I don't know, 40 hours of content a week on top of what I'm making. And that's just like, a, it's a lot to manage. And I was like watching every single piece of content they turned in. Now I watch like 10% of it. I spot check it essentially. And I have other people who watch all of it. And 
yeah, I mean, essentially I was, I was um, overwhelmed and you can't do a whole lot whenever you're, you're overwhelmed all the time with a lot of stuff to do. So I've tried to structure life such that I can kind of do what I want to do when I want to do it. Like today, I want to write, start writing this new poker book. So I have it all lined up. I'm doing it as soon as we're done here. I want to do it. It's going to be a lot of fun because I've not written anything in, I don't know, six months. And it makes me ready to do it. I'm not burnt out at all, right? And sometimes I watch a lot of poker videos. Sometimes I make a lot of PowerPoints. Sometimes I do a lot of recording. So I, I mix it up and do different things. Uh, do, do, how much do you play poker? I play poker now about one week out of the month. So I'll travel somewhere to oh. play. Um, since the pandemic, I'll go to Las Vegas or Fort Lauderdale, like Miami area. That's where they have a lot of big poker tournaments after COVID happened in America. They're nice casinos, easy to get to, good games. And that's what I do now because other stuff takes a lot of time. So whenever I do go to play poker, I'll only do poker. Like I'm not doing any right. business stuff at all there. But one week maybe. a month, one week a month still, it's 25%. I mean, you risk it. So you're spending 25% of your time actually playing poker. Something like that. And sometimes, sometimes more, sometimes less. There's some tournament series that are two or three weeks long. There's some that are just a weekend. Yeah. So it, it varies. Like right now, I'm in kind of a slow period where they're not, I'm not playing again until late November. So I'm going to be home a lot oh, wow. because we just have other life stuff. I have right. other life stuff going on right now. And I, that's fine. I, we, we're, I, I, I'm conscious of the time and I definitely want to get into uh, some of your other businesses. But before we sort of close off this part or whatever, is that sort of how big, I, the one thing I'm thinking about when you're talking about this is how big is this poker world like how big can it be like are you limited by the size of the poker community is there is there a chance for growth i mean are, are you are you looking for i i don't know how many people know about there in the u.s um online poker is not legal in a lot of states and i i suspect that if if legislation had were to change and all of a sudden it was legal to play online poker. I mean, I, I, you just need more poker players, right? Is that is your poker universe limited or is it, or how do you see that? Like, is there a limit to how you can grow these sort of like poker related businesses or not by the community or the size of the population that actually is interested in this? Well, I mean, there's all things are limited to some extent because there's only so many people, <laughs> yes. right? So, I mean, some companies take, have taken over the whole world, but I have not done that yet. I have not done particularly well in Asia or in South America or in Europe. I've done marginally well in places where they don't speak English as much. I've not done especially well. Most of my subscribers are from English speaking countries, which would make a whole lot of sense, right? Yes. Because uh, I don't, I don't know any other languages, unfortunately. So we have all, I mean, that's a way where we could consider trying to break into other countries. We have attempted this a few times and failed. Um, it turns out you need all sorts of stuff beyond just making videos and just making a few emails in order to do it. So that's obviously a way I could expand. Also, like you said, if poker gets very legalized in America, then that would be great. Although to be fair, most of my members are live poker players to begin with. People who are going to the casino okay. and playing $500 buy-in tournaments. Because if you think about it, if you're playing $500 buy-in tournaments six or eight times a week, I'm sorry, six or eight times a month, $100 a month is not actually all that much money. And that's very different than if you're playing like $1 buy-in online games where $100 right. is a ton of money, right? So I obviously it'd be good to me if online poker came back much bigger in America, but at the same time, I don't think okay, it's that's interesting. that big of a deal. That's interesting. Because live poker is very legal in most places or close okay. enough to most places. But yeah, online poker coming back would be good. Um, but yeah, my, my main goal is to expand the number of people who can make good use of my offerings, right? So that's why I'm always putting out 
lots of free content and trying to get in front of people in all sorts of ways. Why made that fundamentals course, for example, because if you don't know anything about poker, but if you go to pokercoaching.com and sign up to, for the hundred dollar membership and jump into the main courses I try to get people to go into, that's going to be way above your head. You're not going to get any of it because you don't know which hands beat what, right? I mean, if you, <laughs> if you literally don't know the rules of the game, my product is useless to you. So I have to teach people the absolute basics and I'm happy to do it for free. So like I have a bunch of, I have a few eBooks like lead magnets essentially that I give away for free that are 40 or 50 pages long that will give you some very, very quick tips to fix the most common things people do wrong. And it's not all that hard to implement those things. So I need to essentially grow the player pool or the, the pool of people who can make use of my, my offerings. It's easier said than done. And yeah, there certainly is some cap. Um, we've been fortunate to grow about 50% each year. It's not fast wow. growth, but it's that's fine. 50% each year, 50% each year for like the last 10 years or so, give or take. That's so, not a, that's not a big growth. You're saying, well, a- I mean, it's not like a <laughs> venture capital fundable company. I mean, what a nice, uh, I mean, a lot of people would be so happy to have a business. I, I guess 10 your, years, your, your margins are probably quite good. Oh, yeah. margins are very good. Um, <laughs> Growth has been good enough, and we're always trying to do additional things to add value to the members to the point that they will never cancel, right? Kind of like, you know, you sign up for Netflix. A lot of people don't cancel unless they screw up. Maybe they're screwing up today for all we know. But uh, you got to make a point to continue adding value. Richard, we got to move. Go ahead. I I was going to say, like, think about where this is going. Obviously, you know, you're still quite young. You're doing really well. So many congratulations. But where could this go? Could you imagine like in five or 10 or 15 years time, you're all going to you own a casino or you're hosting a global event? I definitely don't want to own a casino. I can tell you that I've hosted plenty (laughs) of charity poker tournaments that have been pretty big scale. Um, So that's all that's been fun. I mean, another logical thing to do would be to try to branch into other games and just replicate my strategy, the way I delivered a strategy for other games, because I'm pretty good at chess. I'm very good at Magic the Gathering. The problem, though, is that people don't play those games for a ton of money, whereas in poker, people are investing a few thousand dollars a month. A hundred dollars is not that big of a deal, but if you're playing chess and you basically invest, whatever, $50 a month, you don't want to pay a hundred dollars a month for something, so that's a big problem. Um, Also, there's already very good chess training sites, so you'd have to look for games where they play for a lot of money that also someone has not already figured it out. And I have to be competent enough in it to hire people who are very competent at it. I can, so I can, there's I, I, some barriers there. There's a guy I had on the podcast before Keeman got involved who Jethro Bins, who used to be a top squash player and he's got squash skills online training. And like the money there is not in so much in the subscriptions as in the events, like people will travel to go to events. So if, if you're in, I could send you a link and if you want an introduction, I could do that. But but I, again, the question is your focus. So where will, where will this go if it all go? And you said you're still figuring stuff out and maybe you're just like, you're looking forward to writing your book today and you know that in the six months time, you'll be looking forward to whatever is, you, is in your calendar for six months from now. Do, do you have a, like a an idea of where this might take you or are you still sort of like step-by-step incremental going along? I mean, I have no long-term grand plans. I just want to make a good poker training site because that seems like a thing that makes very good money and I'm pretty good at it. And I mean, like I realize I have a solid lifestyle business is what it amounts to, right? This is not something I'm ever going to sell for $500 million, but it's something that's going to pay the bills for hopefully a long time to come. And that's fine and good. So if we can pay, pay more bills, I think it's nice. And it, it's... What I do now is enjoyable, right? I, I, I mean, a big problem is like, say I do 
branch out and make a platform that other people can buy or license or whatever to run their games. They're going to be coming to me for support and all this stuff. I mean, maybe I just outsource that. So if somebody else does it, but it's probably not going to be all that lucrative to begin with, but also is it something I need to do? I mean, right now today in poker, there are all these game theory optimal programs that will teach you how to play closer to a computer. And the question is, is should we make something like that? Or should we outsource something like that? And I realize that is not my area of specialty at all. We have no software developers on our team who have developed a ton of poker related programs. So is that something we should do, even though it seems to be the thing that a lot of people are doing right now. And I think a lot of them that are being made are actually not all that good. Is that worth doing? And I don't know. You're going to go be careful getting into the software business. It's another business, but I have to, I have to, uh, I, because we're running out of time and I have to ask you, you, you've also done something extremely interesting and fascinating for me and something we haven't talked about at the podcast on the podcast. We haven't had anybody who's, who's, covered, who's done anything in this area. And it's about the, 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 the world of the NFT. And oh, can boy. you just talk to us a little bit this, and, and I always get the sense when I talk to you, yes, I do know Jonathan. Jonathan's actually my poker coach. Uh, I, I, I do, I do can tell when I talk to you about this, that, this gives you you <laughs> you're you're passionate about it basically you like it so uh, this is also something you like but so but it sounds like it's also something that's successful so can you tell us tell us a little bit about what, what you've done and and you know and explain it a little bit uh how, how it works okay um i have all day by the way because we can talk all day i don't know when we, you have to be done um okay so nfts non-fungible tokens are essentially items on a blockchain that represent something or are something. A lot of people use them for art. So if I'm an artist and I want to make a piece of digital art, I can upload it onto a blockchain. The Ethereum blockchain is the one that's most commonly used, although there are a few others. And the neat thing about that is that you can essentially set it up such that whenever somebody sells that piece of art to someone else down the road, you get a royalty on it. So if I make, I mean, there's a lot of artists who make art and they sell it for $1,000 and then later it's sold for $10 million and the artist gets nothing of that $10 million sale. But if that happens online, the artist would get whatever percent they bake into it, 5%, 10%, whatever. So it's a really good thing for people who create art, assuming people value digital art. And essentially by putting it on a blockchain, the artist says, this is the only one that I will ever make. And this is the original, kind of like there's one original Mona Lisa, right? People can make prints of it all day. People can make very close copies to it, but there's only one. And presumably we know where it is. So NFTs are similar to that, where you can say you have that thing. I like NFTs more from a, like a, a utility point of view. So imagine you get a ticket to the Super Bowl to go see a big event. You have to realize when you get that ticket, that essentially gives you the utility to go to the game. But it also gives you some other stuff, right? Like you can get the ticket. After the game, you can sell the tickets. There's just a Michael Jordan rookie game or first game ticket that sold the other day for some large chunk of money that somebody just happened to have. Um, whenever you go to the game, you can make content at the game if you feel inclined, right? You can, or you can do whatever you want, right? You can run on the field and get in trouble. You can sit there and be a good person. You can make TikTok videos. You can do whatever you want at the game, right? So it's all this utility that can come from that ticket. And what some sporting events are doing now is that when you get a ticket, they actually give you an NFT and then they can give you clips from the game that you went to. So they'll send you like highlights of the game that you went to. So it's like a special, like it's a club of the people that went to the game. Essentially, yeah. And then the uh, the person who runs the game, the you know the, the the team, can then give you little perks if they feel inclined, or if they don't feel inclined, they don't right. have to give you anything. 
So what I did is I made an NFT series. It's called Deck of Degeneracy because we like to gamble. <laughs> um, it's 50 decks of 54 cards. So that's 2,700 NFTs playing cards, right? And do I have a deck of cards right here? Oh, you, they can't see it anyway. So we have, uh, if you buy one of the NFTs, you get a piece of art, right? Because the art is unique. It's by a well-known NFT artist. I'll also mail you a deck of physical cards in the mail if you request it or NFT you get. But also every two or three days, I will choose a card at random out of the deck on a video so people can see it. And I'll send people who have one of those 50 cards, the prize, whatever the prize is. Prizes are usually either a piece of my poker tournament action. So say I go and play a poker tournament. Um, I got lucky. The second one I played was a $10,000 buy-in tournament. And I took second place for something like $200,000. So I sent 50 people $2,000 through the Ethereum blockchain. And now they bought this thing for $200. They already got sent back $2,000. <laughs> so they're smashing it. Um, also, so we've done that. We've given back $400,000, give or take, in the form of my tournament action and other people's tournament action. We've only been going for six months. Um, and then also we have a lot of pieces of art. So I like NFT art. I, I like art a lot. I know I said I like the utility more, but I like the art too. And I have bought a bunch of NFT art. And those artists have been very helpful with providing pieces of art that I am able to make 50 copies of and then give to people who have specific cards. So some of those have become very valuable. Um, there's one piece that currently goes to about one Ethereum, which is 1300 bucks or so per 50 and there's 50 of them. So what's that 75,000 bucks, give or take. And also if you had that piece, he gave you another one of his other pieces that came out later, which is currently worth half an Ethereum, give or take. So like these art pieces are gaining utility now as well. So people are just getting stuff because they are involved with holding these so, cards. Well, but so let's talk about what are you actually so that, but you're creating a, it sounds like, and again, layman, big time layman here. It sounds like you're creating a community but mm -hmm. it's also, but, but your chart, there is some charging. So like people are paying for this art, which means that the artist is getting some money, but I guess you're getting what, like, this is, I guess you're not, because it's, it's, you, you said I gave away 400,000, but like, I'll tell you how finances money. work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whenever people initially bought the cards from me, they were paying 0.1 Ethereum, which was about $200 at the time. Okay, so we sold out 2,700 of them in about a week, and that's $750,000. Okay, so people gave me $750,000 for these 2,700 entities. Oh, wow. Then I guaranteed, guaranteed, people have to trust me on this, that I would give back at least 80% of the money in the form of various utility, like my tournament action, these NFT art pieces, and we've had two parties. We've had a party in New York City and a party in Vegas so far. And so, so far, we've been going for six months. I've given back about 850000 so more than I brought in because I thought I'd be able to multiply the money. For example, the piece of art that sells for one Ethereum each, and there's 50 copies of it, I didn't pay anywhere near 50 Ethereum for it, right? So I got a value because I've supported that artist for a long time. I personally supported the artist. Right. And they were happy to help me with my project. Right. And so I essentially get the art. So you get, do you also get the royalty or is only the artist get the royalty? So... Um, we have a 10% royalty on all the cards and the art collection pieces, and the project keeps all of it, but we've also agreed to give back 80% of that or more as well. So okay. essentially, anytime trades are happening, it's going to fund the future of the project. Because kind of like uh, with my first uh, business arrangement where I, I said, you can have a percentage of the profit, maybe we'll keep going, maybe we won't. Yeah. With this project, I said, we will go for a year, the 750K will fund a year. 
And then we'll evaluate. If we have a lot of secondary sales, we'll have a lot of money to continue funding giveaways in the future. And if we don't, we don't, and we pack it up. And you had a good year, and I will have given back 80% of the money at least because that I knew that would be easy to do because I've literally taken and given it right back to the people. It's not hard. So, and I mean, we're, we're about six months in, maybe seven months in, and I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen on the next year because we are going to rely on secondary sales to fund future years. And if we don't have secondary sales, we'll do something else. Maybe we'll make another deck of cards and we will still give some utility to the first deck, but maybe more utility goes to the second deck. Or so basically um, you set up a business. This business, you set something up, it's guaranteed to make you 20%. I'm hearing, I think I'm hearing, it's guaranteed to make you 20%. You're Because you're going to give away 80% of everything, even if it, even if it just like, we, there's this massive like art secondary sales thing. Like if the value of the art goes up, like you could end up be giving away tons and tons of money, but you're just going to lock in this 20% for uh for the business basically and uh so that's one benefit there's like a 20 percent margin and then but isn't there an, like is there another side of this like sort of what we were because i like I, i'm not a big expert on this but like the stuff i've read i've like at least in my head i'm starting to understand or imagine that the benefits are like you're creating a community like you have a community like you actually build you know you, you you you're able to create a community and is this a community of people who are like into poker or into poker and art, because there is a poker element to this as well, right? I mean, these are cards and you're giving them stakes in poker tournaments. Obviously it's probably going out to your audience, which are poker people. So uh, is it a community? Is there a community benefit here like as well? Or can it get tie back into poker coaching? Like I'm going to give you something. <laughs> so, so the I actually did a pretty poor job of converting poker fans into NFT fans, I think. Okay. I, so, so whenever we initially sold the cards, I told people, anybody who'd listen, look, there's literally no way you can lose on this because I'm giving back all the money or the vast majority of the money. And I think I can multiply the money. So if you just buy in, you, you'll be perfectly fine. So six or eight people bought a hundred cards each, which was the maximum I let them buy on a wallet. And so that was like $20,000 they gave me. Right. And so far they've something like five or six X their money in six months because I did what I said I was going to do. Right. Who'd have thought? And so people who knew me from poker, who saw that I just deliver massive value to my students in poker and my fans and whatnot, they know I'm going to do a good job because I like the space and I'm passionate about it. I'm not going to get bored. I probably spend four hours a day on NFTs right at this point. And <laughs> that's incredible. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. So <laughs> I know that this is where we get to what you like. We didn't, we, so yeah. we, we found the thing he likes. <laughs> Well, no, so I've always liked trading things and playing games. With Magic the Gathering, that's a game where the physical cards have value. And I traded almost no cards into a large chunk of cards over time. And okay. NFTs are similar, where you can buy an NFT, and if you find somebody who wants it more, they, they'll pay you a premium, right? I really you have think to figure out what looks good. You should consider writing a book about this. I mean, the thing is that yeah. you're, you're a pioneer about the NFT business because I know what Kimo says about community. Clearly, you've got brand and trust. People trust you. This is yeah. about the fact Jonathan Little has got, you've got a track, as you said, people use, so, deliver incredible value and the people who stick with you and pay a hundred bucks a month know that. Otherwise, they'd stop, right? I mean, the, yeah. the, so, so you're in a very good position which wouldn't, wouldn't be open to other people necessarily to do this NFT thing because of your reputation and your personal brand and your your expertise and your community. And so that it does make a lot of a lot of sense. And even if you do wrap it up and do another one in a six months time, you'll have still learned more, you'll know much more than most people do about how to make an NFT business. 
Sure. So, I mean, I've learned a few, you talk about community, right? I've learned a few things with this project that I kind of incentivize people to hold multiple cards. So multiple people have 54 cards. So whenever I do a drawing, they know they win every time. <laughs> that's kind of a problem though, because that's going to result in some number of people having a ton of the cards and well, one, one fiftieth, 50th of them. Right. And in order to have a big community, you need everybody having like one or two. So we only have something like 500 people who have a card, which is not a lot. 500 people right. is not a very big community. If you look a lot at the big NFT projects, they have 5,000 people who have a piece. So that's a problem. I will have to remedy that next time. I'm actually working on another project. I don't want to talk about it. It's too convoluted. But I'm working on another NFT project that will be coming out soon. Every decade of holder who has a card, by the way, will be getting it for free. So that's just another way for me to give value to them. And that's going to incentivize people to hold specific things, but not a bunch of things. I also did a thing where in order to go to my Las Vegas party, you had to have a Royal Flush, which is five cards that are connected, essentially. And that incentivized people to have five cards each, not one or two, right? And so I have these people buying up all the cards, and that makes it difficult for other people to get a hold of the cards, which, you know, does drive up the price, which is fine and good because everybody made money right off the bat. But at the same time, it limited the community aspect. The community we have is amazing. Um, we have a lot of amazing artists who are involved in the community. We have a, a bunch of holders who love it. I mean, there are people like making programs to make my life easier. Because in the beginning, if I had to send out 50 transfers, I would have to do it manually. I have to figure out manually who oh, owns wow. each card and then manually send 50 transfers. But people made me programs to fix this stuff. So now I just, I can easily search it and then I can easily send it and it's nice and easy. And we have people who make like various tools and whatnot to make the, the program better. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. I made a, so with, with the art pieces, we now have about 200 art pieces from top NFT artists. And you can see it, it's, uh, I have a 3D gallery at OnCyber, O-N-C-Y-B-E-R dot I-O slash Degeneracy. And it's like a, a two-floor, three-dimensional gallery where you can go through and you can look at all the art pieces. That's you can awesome. like click on them and get more information and go to the sales pages and all that stuff. But I don't know. NFTs are fun. I think it, I think it's an interesting space. I will say, though, you talk about having the Jonathan Law poker brand. I have, to some extent, realized my poker fans do not care about NFTs at all. So I can talk about them a little bit, but not a lot. <laughs> so I have my NFT projects, Twitter, Degeneracy NFT on Twitter. Deck of Degeneracy was one letter too long. That was a mistake on my part. So Degeneracy NFT, I talk about NFTs there a lot and almost no poker. And then I have Jonathan Little, which talks about almost all poker and no NFTs, which is kind of annoying because I realize I have this big group of people who I'm sure would love the project if they just got over the idea of <laughs> I don't like crypto and I don't like NFTs <laughs> because there's a big barrier of entry to cryptocurrencies. And there's even a bigger barrier of entry to NFTs. It's not actually hard once you know what to do and actually once you really want to do it. But if you don't want to do it, you're just not going to do it at all and you don't want to hear about it. Mm. So well, I have purposely not been able to talk about NFT so much. Like okay. We, we'll obviously put, if you zip us an email with all these links, we'll put them all in the show notes for this episode. There is one guy who was on the podcast, David, David Spinks, who founded the community of community managers, CMX. And his route into community management was he was a gamer when he was a teenager and quite isolated and he built a get he built a community for gamers yeah, he was and, impressive uh, and uh, his community of gamers um and like at school he wasn't a popular kid but like in his community of gamers 
you know, he was somebody and it, it gave him, and I'll, I'll send you a link to that and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Well, we have slightly overrun. I know Keeman's a big fan of yours, so he's probably got dozens more questions, but I think you've, you, you're unique on this podcast because you're, you're not just a lifestyle entrepreneur, you're a highly successful lifestyle entrepreneur, which is, which is perfect. And, you know, I, I think what you've done and where you're going speaks to the sort of the individual doing something great for other people and having a great lifestyle along the way. And I don't have any further questions. So I'd like to just sort of hand over to to wrap up. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, like, so I, you know, I I learned a lot about you and I just think I, but I'd say pioneer is, I don't know, Richard, if you would agree, like you're a pioneer, man. Like I, that's not what I expected, but like, it's like, even though it's like, you're doing it again with the NFTs, like you're ahead of the, you're ahead of the, the, the curve. We had the guy, the last podcast guy, we said, uh, the last uh, guy we had on the podcast, Richard, he said something, what did he say? He said, being early feels wrong, a lot like being wrong. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about NFTs, like, I don't know if it's going to become anything. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, I don't know. And yeah, kind of but, like podcasts, for example. I didn't know if podcasts would become a thing, but they have. And, you know, like, I didn't know if YouTube would, be- would become a thing, but it has. And so yeah. when you see a lot of attention going to something, you probably want to get in that space and ideally earlier than other people. Like, if you look at the poker players who have the most followers on Twitter, a lot of them been on, have been on Twitter for 20 years or however long, right? And, I mean, if you're willing to devote some time in it, if you're going to have fun with it, then... I think it's definitely. Is there any it. like parting words that you? So imagine that you've got some young kid listening to this that wants to, you know, be an entrepreneur, set up a business, do something. Is there any like last? Is there any piece of advice? Any like one line or any piece of advice you'd share with somebody like that? Yes, essentially, all of us are good at something because all of us spend a lot of time doing something, right? So figure out a way to take the something that you're good at and add value to other people who like the thing who may not be as good at it as you are and find a way to do it in a manner that is fun such that you never really get burn out from it. And, and that, that's it. I mean, that's all I've done my whole life is get good at some things and then teach people to do those things. And, and it's fun. Mix it up, awesome. you know, mix it up and enjoy yourself. Perfect. Awesome. What Thanks so much, you? Jonathan. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I'll send you the information with all the links and hopefully people check those out and they'll get good at poker and NFTs. 